Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Hello, young adventurers. Dylan here. On today's podcast, I interviewed Victor Bellara. He comes from World Class HR. In this conversation, we talk about his journey through the land of startups. He started in the dot-com phase in the early 2000s, where he was basically working with hundreds of people and they had a dot-com burst and he had to let go of hundreds of people. He goes through basically the stories of what does it take to level up the skills of a leader, an executive in startup land? What are the gremlins that go on in their brain? What is catabolic and anabolic energies? And what does it take to really get someone to want to change? How do we get leaders to understand the gaps that they have in their leadership? And then how do we how do we use the community to reflect back who they are and the steps they need to go to level up their skills so they can be a better leader for their company? It was a beautiful conversation all around the topics of communication with your teams and startups. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Victor Ballara. Hey, Victor. Welcome today, buddy. So glad you're here. Thank you. Glad we made it. I know, I know. Thanks for inviting me. Of course, of course. Yeah, we, we had a little, a little Zoom snafu along the way. Um, in this post-COVID era, there just seems to be just the typical issues with Zoom, like the, like the, like the Zoom face where someone just kind of freezes and like an awkward, like, mm, or something right. like that, or these other things. So I'm, I'm glad we made it past the technical hurdles. Yep. Awesome. So I appreciate you uh, being on the podcast, and um, I've known you for a number of years. Um, you've, you've been an awesome mentor and guide as I've been going through the land of startups. Um, I would love to learn just a little bit about how you kind of got in to the area of like helping mentor startups and, uh, and young executives in, in the area of business and entrepreneurship. Wow. I've, I've been involved with seven startups and uh, th the first one was a company that um, I joined as the seventh employee and we took it to 400 and it was one of those uh, dot bombs sad story. Um, we were ready to go public. We all had our spreadsheets that showed us to become millionaires in two months. <laughs> and because I had founder stock at seven cents. And uh, it was July of 2000, which if you recall, that was Black Tuesday where, or Black Friday, where all of the tech stocks just took a dive. I mean, there was a time there where we thought the money would never stop. You know, we were revenue positive. You know, we had about a hundred million dollars in investment. And uh, over the four years, I had built an entire C team and a sales staff. Um, and uh, we were just, we were, we created the whole concept of, um, website development where you could just create a Word doc and press a button and it would publish to the website, uh, publish to the internet. So that's kind of ubiquitous now, Yeah. but this was in 1997. 
Well, that was really the start. And um, one of the uh, senior VPs I had recruited uh, after we, you know, dried our eyes and said, okay, we'll chalk that up to experience. He invited me to, to help him build the U.S. sales team for a new um, uh, software system. And uh, that was part of a German company. So that was my first start to help build the infrastructure of a startup. Wow. Yeah. What were you doing before that? Like, how did you, you just jumped into that? How did you get into like one of those, you know, dot-com billionaire bus kind of systems? That seems kind of like a big place to, to take a leap. Well, I, I, I answered an ad in the Wall Street Journal back in the days, you know, the 1996, where companies were actually putting ads in, you know, prior to that, I mean, I kind of skipped over 19 years in consulting with big big companies, big pharma, aerospace. So I had a very strong HR background. So I answered this ad in the Wall Street Journal. And it was funny, it would be what we call a tombstone ad. You know, this you know, VP of HR, uh, VP of sales, CFO is like all these big titles. So I said, well, this company must really be big, right? So I go to, um, meet with the CEO and I open this door and it's a server room and it has four guys and uh, that was it. <laughs> and that was the CEO style is, well, he just would cast a wide net to see what he could catch. And um, from that point on, uh, you know, I mean, it took a while. We, we pivoted a couple of times. Um, at one point, we thought, well, we'll sell internet service. And I realized that was ubiquitous. Everybody's offering that. And um, so we hit on this uh, website development theme. One of the co-founders was a Lotus Notes uh, super expert. So he had created the databases for all the data laid. And the concept of just press a button and publish is kind of what he created. That's very cool. And then so as as that concept built, we built a sales team to go out and knock on doors on small businesses. But you know, this was 96, I think Netscape had just launched and the biggest challenge was companies saying, well, what's the internet and why do I need to be there? Ahead of the time. That is such an iconic, typical imagery when you see four dudes in a server room who are all C-suite levels with no one really below them. Right. What did it, like, let me ask you, what was the, what was the emotions like when the, when the, when the crash came, when the dot-com crash came? And then, like, how did you pick up those pieces, right? What was the, what were the emotion like? And what was the, the overall recovery process look like to recover from that kind of, like, that um, spiral? Sure. Well, you can just imagine, like I said, we thought the money would never stop. We had, um, uh, what do we have? 45,000 square feet of real estate, two offices, you know, Aon shares. I mean, we, we, we really were the typical dot-com where we, you know, had built an entire building 
and so we are very excited. Um, you know, I still have a copy of the uh, the prospectus uh, for the IPO, and it was literally sold out. So we knew that it was going to hit twenty eight bucks a share, um, just because of the money that was already committed. And so we were like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, the tech stocks started dropping dramatically. You know, Facebook went, you know, really down the toilet. And it's like shock and awe, you know, it's like, oh my God, this can't be happening. So the money dried up and we, we probably had funds to keep us going for about three months. but. All of a sudden, we had to start cutting staff, so that was the most difficult thing. Yeah, to have recruited so many people, um, and then have to tell them, "Well, it, you know, sorry, but you know, we're just going to have to let you go." How do you open up a conversation like that? That's so hard because people put, you know, they they put their hopes and dreams, and they put like families are relying on you. Absolutely. And and like, what is that? What does that conversation look like? Because that's, I mean, that's a that's a very very difficult situation. Yeah. Well, you know, personally, I had friends and family invested, so you know, I had to deal with that myself. Say, so, you know, I I'm really sorry. I you know, we had no way of knowing that this would happen, and so a lot of tears with the staff. Um, you know, we we. Um, had to have this conversation, you know, 300 times. And, uh, you know, by that time I had built an HR team. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of the, the conversations, but over my career, I've had to have those. And, you know, it's just reality. Um, you know, the bubble burst and, you know, sadness, tears, and, and maybe a little bit of yelling and, do you have a framework or a way to help with those types of difficult conversations where, you know, there's the sad truth of the matter, there's going to be some sort of expectations where, you know, someone's going to feel emotionally hurt in some way, shape or form. And, and how do you approach that, you know, to, to, to be both authentic and real, but also kind and compassionate at the same time? Well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm in it too, you know, we're all going to have, we all have an expiration date, you know, on this, you know, um, enterprise. And, you know, it's not as if it's happening only to you, Dylan, you know, I'm talking to you and I'm letting you go. It's like teams of people. And, you know, I think the most difficult part of that conversation is in the technology space, it was happening to everybody. So it's not as if you could just walk next door and get a job. So that was part of the reality and the sadness of having that conversation. Yeah, you know? it's, it's, it's not just the tribe, it's the entire island the tribes are on and the whole right. tri island is sinking. Right. Oh, wow, wow. So what about the what about the recovery period? I mean, after that, I mean, I'm I'm surprised you go back into the world of startup land. Like, how did you how did you pick up the emotional pieces, and what was the next step onto the next adventure? 
Yeah, well, you know, it, it took a little bit of recovery and a little bit of explanation to my wife because I had just exercised my options and wrote a $30,000 check because they were going to be worth, you know, instead of seven cents, 28 bucks. So having to have a conversation with my wife as well is like, you know, you know, who, who would have guessed? And so at that point, it's scramble time for everybody. And certainly being chief HR officer, there aren't a lot of those jobs around. And so in, and so this is now 2000, you know, the market is in, you know, an instable um, place. And again, in those days, you answer an ad. <laughs> I saw an ad in the paper and, uh, and, and again, you know, I said, well, you know, that's sort of it for me for startups, you know, it's too risky. Um, so I, it was another walk in the door and see a guy with a server, but it was in his house in Laguna Beach. And, you know, these are two guys that had cashed out. They sold their companies before the market dropped and they're restarting a new business. And uh, it's like, well, you know, I, I guess I'm just meant to do these things because I seem to be attracted to that entrepreneurial, you know, genius, <laughs> you know, the passion, the smarts, um, you know, the um, kind of um, um, talent magnet, you know, that, that just seemed to attract a lot of people. And um, so that was a company we, we took to about 150 employees, sold it twice, and still never really had a, a very good fin you know, financial exit. Mm -hmm. But you know, ultimately, I was VP of HR of a $300 million public company as we you know, bought and sold and, and grew the company. So, you know, um, the last time that it was bought, the conversation was reversed. And it's like, hey, Vic, you know, we, we don't really need your services. <laughs> um, so again, you know, kind of look around and pick up the pieces. And um, I'm trying to think. Um, so that was two, so that was a seven year um, ramp up. And I think that was when I was introduced to the guy who started um, Earthlink. Mm. And again, so it was that entrepreneurial magnetism and he had a $350 million venture fund. And so I was, uh, it's a company that was based in um, Santa Monica. And so we were, or no, this is the story that led me to the buildup where we were looking at uh, prospectuses for investment. And uh, one of the CEOs um, decided he would restart his Oracle Systems Integration Company. And that was the firm we took for seven years and sold twice. There's, there's something to that, like, I mean, I've also been always attracted to startups and, entrepreneur, and entrepreneurship, and there's something about, yeah, like, good people that are really excited. There's an opportunity, but it's not certain. 
right? There's like this, there's like, yes, we can, but there's also that, that hint of unknown. And there's something about that kind of random, I want to say random surprise, random choice, that, that potential at a huge opportunity that is very alluring, almost like lotto tickets or the pool machines. You kind of get that thrill of like, you know, everybody around a, a craps table kind of going, yes, we can do it. One more, no snake eyes, no snake eyes. Um, how, what do you think of the, like along those paths with those types of character types, what do you think are some of the typical um, psychological or like lack of skill set pitfalls that leaders come across in those spaces in the areas of entrepreneurships? What are some of the gaps that you've seen as a consistent pattern um, in the areas of leadership and startups? Yeah, you know, for it, it's very difficult for um, CEOs who are very successful and they think, you know, hey, I, I'm arrived, I've arrived, I'm, I'm here, I'm successful. I don't have to do anything different, right? And yet it's kind of like the emperor's new clothes fable you know he can't see what he can't see and so there's this um uh model that dates back to the 1950s called the johari window and it was named because of these two psychologists joe and harry and so they created this model it's kind of a two by two xy axis so on one axis it has to do with um, whether the person is known to others or unknown to others. And so those are, you know, if it's known to others and, but it's known by me, known to me, then that's something I keep very secret. I'm not going to let you in on that. I'm not going to let you, it's hidden. hidden. Mm -hmm. If it's known to others, but not known to me, then that's the unknown. And that's probably the hardest for me as an executive coach, you know, advisor to let people know that they're, you know, they're not wearing any clothes going back to the emperor's new clothes. And, and they don't get it. They can't see it. Um, and so as a coach, you try to chip away. You, for me, usually data does that. And then the other side is, the areas that are known to others, but not known to me. So everybody around me knows what's going on. And they say, you know, this guy's a real jerk. You know, he's killing people. He's working them so hard. And, you know, the leader says, well, hey, you know, uh, I, I'm so successful. I don't need to change. And that's, that's pretty tough. Mm. Uh, and then the other, you know, you want to get to the one box you know, upper left quadrant, it's known to everybody else, and it's known to me. So whether it's through data, 360s, feedback, coaching, um, getting individuals to the point where they accept some of their issues, problems, concerns, and they're working on it. Mm -hmm. And that's, the, that's what's joyful for me is uh, because we're all on the same page now and whether you know whether it's you or someone else i'm working with you know we're we're you know 
in a boat rowing in the same direction and, and we both kind of buy into the direction we're headed and how to get there. Yeah, that makes so much sense, especially when, I mean, you look at, or often the way that I look at businesses and is basically one holistic organism, right? And if you, if you look at like the human brain the same way, same way, is that when you have repression and you have like usually sedation because of repression, then the, the, the organism can't function properly because the whole thing isn't working together, right? So in order to, to so that's why like finding your own voice, being completely congruent inside and out with yourself is like the first step. And then being able to have that with other people inside an organism. So saying like, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to admit my flaws as well as being able to accept my praise. And then at the same time, having everybody else being able to do that same thing, everybody can then function because there's that weird air of humans are funky. Like we want, we want harmony, but we want truth. And a lot of times we'll sacrifice harmony for, uh, for or truth for harmony or, or um, the other way around where they're like, I know what's right. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't care what you have to say. And they completely wall off everything which creates this huge, basically, like disconnection from the entire organism to where you're, you're trying to run with one leg and you're just not making the progress you could. But that's so, that's so hard to uncover because there is a lot of blindness because people are always afraid to have those conversations or they're just not willing to put in the effort necessary to, to level up themselves, to take that like terrifying look in the mirror how like you said with data i mean are there exercises or there activities i mean are there ways to kind of step back reflect and look in the mirror both as an individual and as the company collective as a whole well i can tell you a story um so as an executive coach i'm brought into companies all the time for all kinds of reasons and oftentimes it's fix it reasons. Can you fix this guy? And um, okay, sure, but he's got to want to fix, be fixed, right? And so he had been accused of sexual harassment. And so they said, you know, we really, we want to keep this guy, he's very successful. It's a real estate company and he's, just built, you know, like a billion dollar portfolio. We really want to keep. So can you help us help him? It's okay. So the first step is getting that person to understand themselves, like I said. And so we did a 360. So it's getting, um, and so I have a tool that looks at 36 different leadership competencies. And you want to get the input of others you know that that are out there clients customers your boss of course subordinates who work for you and anyone else and so in this case we actually had him uh reach out to his wife and his brother and so okay now we have all this data and of course we're comparing their perspective to his and so he absolutely refused that there was nothing he needed to do different and of course you know on the sexual harassment thing well 
she overblew things. You know, it wasn't meant to be that, you know, I was just joking, all those excuses. So we got to the data and, you know, he's saying, well, you know, I don't really have to change. And it's like, well, let's look at how you compare to everyone else. And he said, well, they don't really know me. So it's that dismissal. It's incongruent with, you know, it's not me. It's not the me that I know. And it's like, well, you know, your wife and your brother agree with everyone else that you've got these gaps. So it's like, it probably took three months of him kip, kicking and screaming and saying, it's not me. And even though his wife and brother, you know, agreed with the others around the gaps, he finally dragging his heels, finally said, okay, I get it. <laughs> Somehow the incongruency in his brain, you know, managed to uh, convince him that, okay, I need to do something differently. So that was the moment with a lot of hard work, a lot of introspection and a lot of data, but it was really up to him. You know, it's that old, you know, how many psychologists it does it take to change the light bulb? And it's like, you know, one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you can't, you can't force someone to do their own work. You can show them a path, you can give them guidance, you can do a framework. It's, it's, it's more than anything, it sounds like you're, you're cultivating the desire of change, right? And that sounds, sounds like, and that, but people just, but again, we have this inherent bias that what I'm currently doing, what I believe, what I think, the stories I tell myself, they are, you have like this natural comfort in this one spot, you know, whatever it is. And then being able to change that, you have to feel this like, I don't like the way I feel here to move. And it sounds like you just kind of like, put a little bed of coals under him and said, do you want to stay here? <laughs> Especially with the wife and the brother. Because after right. that, you're saying your wife and your brother don't know you. Uh, <laughs> um, did he like, I mean, after that, so did, was there market improvements? Was there feedback from the people? Were you able to follow up? How do you, how do you find out that that change was permanent or that they're actually able to like, you know, actually like let go of that identity and step into the new one? Well, that's a great question. And Ideally, in this model, that's something that you want to do. Um, but we didn't have that as part of our program. <laughs> and the, the sad tale is they wound up firing him anyway. Oh. And, and I, already, I always have that our, our conversation. It's like, okay, you got to be honest with me. Uh, well, I was brought in by the senior VP general counsel. So that's never a good thing. <laughs> But I said, look, you got to tell me up front, you know, are we looking to fire this guy or do you really want to keep him? No, no, no. We really want to keep him. He's really great. He's got all this talent. I said, well, that's important to know because otherwise we're doing transition coaching and that's something totally different. Um, and so, but, but in this case, you know, two months later, I circled back to the guy and said, well, you know, they, they fired me and I've, I've gone on to other things. Um, but ideally, that in the model, that would be the, the best way to validate the change that, you know, we, you, you, know you, you, you did all this work, and here's the fruits of your labor, all these 
people are now saying that they see the gap, you know, diminishing. Yeah, and that what you just mentioned there is is I think one of the hardest things is separating the ego from the talent in a in a in a person that that knows how good they are and feels like they can do anything because they have so much talent that they don't have to improve their personality because they have the talent. And um, I forget what it was. I think it was Trillionaire Coach that called it. Um, it was like uh, something like temperate talent or something. There was, I can't think of the name of it, but there's a, a like impetuous talent or something like that, where you, you have these, um, these, these people who are so, they make the company great, but they, they, they create an energy that basically ostracizes everybody around them. Sure. And so, and so you're saying that the, the way to actually help them see that is by actually using the community, using the friends, using the family, showing them, hey, this is reflecting them, this is how you represent yourself to the community. Are you willing to change? And and then they they do or they don't, or or other people have predispositions, biases. How do you how do you have the people like with the people that are already upset, how do you get rid of that smell? Like how do you let go? How do you get people to say, look, uh, uh, this is Bob. Um, Bob, Bob has turned a new leaf. And, and, and instead of saying, okay, we're going to fire him anyways, how do you let go of the, that predisposition? Is there any way to kind of do a collective reset with him, a way to do forgiveness um, versus just like, you know, having him attempt to change and then any small error now comes a landslide of history that comes along with that? Is there a way to reflect that back to the community? that allows a community to forgive? Yeah, that, that's um, a, a real difficult scenario. It all, it's all about trust. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if there's a level of trust in the organization, you know, trust is a organizational value. And um, oftentimes when I come into companies and they want to do a 360, it's like, well, how, how, do you, how would you value the level of trust? Because if people don't trust the organization, the data you get back is, is un, unreliable. And so I, I often will say, if, we, if you can't validate that level of trust, then I would recommend that we not do 360. Um, we might do a few interviews, but you know, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it because you're going to get unreliable data. Um, mm. I think with Bob, you know, with this guy, it's, it's helping him have conversations with the people, you know, not necessarily the person he harmed, although that's got to be one of the conversations, but being um, vulnerable and um, asking for help and say, you know what, I, I, I understand, you know, that, that I've done some things that um, have made you uncomfortable or that you've heard about. And I just want to know, want you to know that I, I'm, I'm here to change. And I, I'm asking for feedback. I want you to tell me if you see that old guy pop up. Um, 
that you remind me. Maybe we have a safe word, you know, um, so people can, you know, tap Bob in the shoulder and, and say, Bob, you know, you're, you're getting a bit abusive. And, you know, my coaching of Bob is, okay, Bob, you know, there's two parts of feedback. You got to ask for it and then you got to act on it. And you got to do both. And, and you've got to be willing to act on it because otherwise trust breaks down again. And people say, well, you know, Bob, Bob's not ever going to change. You know, he gets all this feedback and it's the same old Bob. Yeah. That's so powerful. I mean, what you said right there was this, it was, you know, in my mind, I was, I was thinking about asking you like, how do you, you know, how do you create that mindset for vulnerability and stepping into that situation that you just mentioned? Because like really what you just said there was super powerful of, Hey, I'm trying to get better. Please help me get better. If you see me going back to what I was, please remind me as an external reference. Cause I kind of feel this the same way I feel and occasionally and occasionally this happens with like people in power, um, very attractive people, or like very rich people is that there's no external points of reference, right? They just kind of spin off and nobody ever checks them because everyone's afraid to be dismissed by them, dismissed by that power, whether it's a movie star or in a very attractive person or someone rich. And so they kind of spin off and they go into crazyville because nobody's willing to check them. And that, that mindset, like how do you, is there a way like a daily reminder to keep that mindset, that openness of vulnerability. How do you, how do you, how do you embody that mindset of being open and being collaborative and and really putting yourself out there? You know, because it's a combination of open heart, and, but also knowing that someone can come at it, and and that's going to be part of that ego damage. Well, it's hard for me to say because I'm none of those three. Um, <laughs> And I've worked with a lot of people who have it all. And again, it's back to that emperor's new clothes. You know, no one is willing to tell him that, you know, the clothes he bought, you know, that, that it's, they're in, you know, they're invisible. You know, is what the guy, the tailor convinced him of the fable. And he believes it. And no one, no one wants to tell him because of that, the power, the influence, the, you know, threat of recrimination. And so going back to Bob, mm -hmm. you know, with Bob, it's kind of, okay, Bob, you know, our, let's, let's try a, a dry run of this. I want you to approach me and ask for feedback. And okay, now that I've given you feedback, I want you to practice these words. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I want you to write down the feedback. And then we're going to have another conversation where we talk about what was the feedback, what did it tell you, and what are you going to do differently? And okay, Bob, let's have another dry run at this. I want you to talk to me as if I'm that person who just gave you that feedback. And so it's, you know, like you said, daily check-ins, reminders, but, you know, from me and my coaching hat, it's let's practice that in a safe environment. But it all goes back to trust. <laughs> if people aren't willing to give Bob a second chance, 
if they don't trust him. You know, so I would, you know, in the in the best scenario, circle back to all those other people and say, how is Bob doing? You know, what is your perception of this? Because Bob says, well, you know, I met with all my people and I've had all these conversations and it's like, okay, cool. So let me check with everybody else and they, oh yeah, Bob, Bob talked to us all, but it was the same old powerful Bob, you know, he wants us to change. He doesn't want to change. Yep. Yep. And so it's, again, you need that kind of like dungeon map. <coughs> you where you can basically overlook everything and be okay is bob playing well with others are others playing well with bob and then knowing that there's going to be repeated check-ins to make sure that they're in alignment moving together as a collaborative front versus that that dismissal that denial the old patterns rehabits and formations the, all those things um so i i see what you're saying but it really takes a lot of effort to, to regrind those new patterns. What you're saying, those dry rooms, a safe place for a difficult conversation. And it seems like that's the key is you start, you start there where you kind of say, okay, Bob, we're going to, we're going to level you up in the world of, of difficult conversations here. Level one, just me and you, not even about nothing real and not, no, no emotional attachments. And then progressively getting up to, you know, their, wounded child trauma about being insignificant and getting yelled at by their parents or something like so you just gotta gotta work your way up to that um how do people like in terms of you know mastering this this art of say leadership right you know how do, how does someone show up as a powerful leader that is someone that is able to lead the team, but not be a dictator. Someone that says, I need to, you know, like a, you know, the, there's a round table where everyone is collaborative, but one of those seats has a throne. Like, how do you balance that out and be both powerful and leader, but also being caring and collaborative at the same time? Um, well, I think it really starts with helping well you know for me as an executive coach it's really helping on helping me understand what what i call the gremlins that are going on in the leader's brain and you said it you know it goes back to early childhood you know i'm i'm not a therapist so i'm not going to get into the therapeutic models but i want to understand what are the messages going on in this leader's brain and is it this perfectionistic parents you know, that makes him so critical because of growing up, he was criticized so much. So it's getting that leader to the place where he's very vulnerable and willing to share what those grumblings are. And then we kind of deconstruct it. Because if you look at the brain, you know, we have these neurons, these paths in our brain that are, you know, um, like deep trenches and it's like pushing a wheelbarrow you know it's very easy to follow that big that old path and in order to get out of that and do things differently if you're pushing that wheelbarrow you can imagine the amount of energy it takes to get out of the rut so it takes identification understanding <clears throat> how did that rut get there <clears throat> Excuse me. And how are we going to 
you know, maybe pave it over and create a new neural pathway that, you know what, you know, you don't have to be critical and abusive to get people to do what you want them to do. Um, so a lot of times, um, you know, I'm, I'm working with executives to understand what those gremlins are. Mm. Um, and what are the messages, you know, that, that critical parent in their head? And what is that voice telling them? Yeah, I'm imagining gremlins that like, they get the job done, but they wreck the place, you know? Yep. So you're looking for... Oh yeah, but that gremlin, he's really good at getting that door open. He just beats it open with a hammer though. And every time it, it does it, but there's just this wake of destruction. And so I, say, I understand that's effective, but the, at the cost of all these other things, you know, it's like you can get, you can get, you know, energy through like uh, an avocado or a donut kind of thing or something like that. There's two different forms of energy. So this understanding that those gremlins, they don't serve you anymore, right? And it's time to it's time to bring in new workers, new 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 caring ones. Along this path, with I mean, you you've been you've been helping leaders for a while, and do you have like like a holy grail? Do you have like a a place that you want to get to in, in startup land? Is there something that like ultimately you're striving to do, or a mission that you're on? Well, you know, you, you mentioned a, an interesting word, energy. And one of the tools I use is an assessment called energy leadership. And we all have, we're all energetic beings. You know, our brains are all about, you know, uh, energy and, you know, neuron, neurons firing. So this tool actually measures your level of energy. And when, when we do these assessments, there's energy that works against you, and that's the gremlins. And there's energy that works and supports you. And so the first step, again, is acknowledgement. And so we, we, this model has seven levels of energy. And, you know, the first two are, you know, very much victim thinking. And it's sort of like walking around wearing this lead suit and all that energy that's working against you is the heaviness of the suit that you carry. And that's the gremlins and wherever they come from. And the idea is you wanna help that leader chip away, identify, you know what, you know when I've done 200 of these, 90% um, of the leaders I work with have 70% of their energy working against them. So again, the first step is awareness. Second is acceptance. Yes, I, I get that. I can feel it. Um, you know, help me, you know, well, what can I do? And so, okay, let's chip away at that energy that's holding you back and finding out what, what are, what's the root, you know, what's the gremlins, um, you know, what's holding them back. And so that they can then move up to the point where the energy is supporting and helping them. And the two flavors of energy, one is called catabolic, and that's the kind that's working against you. Mm -hmm. 
and anabolic, which is what's supporting you. And you know, you can think of when used appropriately, anabolic steroids can help build tissue mass, but it can also, you know, put you in a bad place health-wise. So you got to balance it. But the more you can decrease your catabolic energy and increase the anabolic energy, the better leader you're going to be. And so the model is, you know, win-lose. So at the catabolic level, it's like, I lose, I lose, I lose. And then you move up and it's like, well, I win, but you lose. And that's the person you said that kicks down the door or succeeds and leaves a wake of dead bodies behind them. Mm. And so as we chip away with that, again, with that, at the catabolic energy, we get to the point where they realize that it's not about winning. <laughs> you know, it's about everyone winning. So you get to this win-win place and then it's, you know what? I don't really need to win, but I want you to win. So that's kind of the, maybe a level six. So we've now kind of moved up that ladder. That's so powerful. I mean, if you look at all the great, I mean, it's funny because like that, going up the things, going from like the scarcity to abundance to like, you know, prosperity of, look, I'm, I'm already successful. I want you to be successful. I'm just here for you. And, you know, at the same time, you're the one that needs to do it, but I'm here to support you. That energy is so powerful because then you feel like someone is giving you a gift of their time. Someone is like, and you feel almost like a natural reciprocation to want to live up to those, st those standards and those energy levels that are being invested in, in, in you as the person that is basically more or less being powered leveled through the game. Right. And so you have some high level guy or woman who's basically helping, you know, someone get up those ranks, but it, you, you've got to do the work. That's, that's so powerful. Um, what, what messages would you give to like a young hero, a young person who's going to be, you know, going to is, is maybe getting ready to go sit in a server room with three of their friends to get up and get started. What messages who just, who don't, know about this? How do they get started on the right foot and avoid some of these pitfalls out the gate? Well, and you've been there, you know what it's like. It's, it's very infectious, you know, the energy and the passion that you have. And startups have a tendency of losing that for a, for a variety of reasons. But it's reconnecting with that, again, energy, the passion, you know, um, and energy is contagious, whether it's catabolic or anabolic. So, you you know, these, you know, um, build them and kill them kind of model, <laughs> you know, the, the guy or girl that, you know, at all costs is going to win. Um, that model isn't where they were way back when. So it's getting them to realize that, you know, you got to share power. You've got to share knowledge. And it's like, well, why? You know, why do I have to do that? You know, I'm successful. It's mine. I've earned it. And so, again, chipping away at that and saying, well, you could do that. 
let's explore what the implications of that are. Um, you're not going to be the, you want to be the Pied Piper of talent. You know, you want to be able to lead in a way that people would give anything to be part of you, your team. And some of that is the stories you tell and the images, you know, everybody wants to find the next Microsoft or, you know, the next Google or whomever. Um, but, you know, there's a, you gotta pay the piper, <laughs> you know, you gotta be willing to, or I should say the Pied Piper, the piper's gotta be willing to demonstrate that they're there to share what they have with the people that are following them. So to the young leader, I mean, I think young leaders get it and they're looking for places where they're valued and appreciated. There's conversations with boss, the boss, you know, because people don't leave companies, they leave bosses. We know that. Yeah. So it's all about that relationship. Um, so the young people, I think that this gen, you know, the millennials, they get it and they have those expectations. And so it's up to us to create an environment that is attractive to them. For the for the young leader, um, I you know honestly, I think they get it. And what you hope is that they don't catch the virus <laughs> that puts them in that mode of being Bob. You know that you know what I've arrived, and you know it's sort of like trying to help inoculate them against that and building this culture around them where they do what they know is important. Again, you know, communicate with your people, appreciate them, ask them, you know, every day, how can I help you? What can I do to help your career? And that's advice I give any leader, young or old, is that you really got to be talking to your people. You get to know them. And, you know, I, I, I'm working with a physician right now who manages a very successful medical practice. And it's very difficult, you know, for him to get that because it's, he keeps saying, well, that's not me. I, I wasn't born that way. You know, I'm not naturally a outgoing like that. And, you know, I, I, it's not what I do. You know, my passion is surgery. It's like, well, okay. But you all, you have this team of people that make it so that you can be a successful surgeon. So you got to talk to them and you got to appreciate them for helping you achieve what you want to do. And so I'm going back to what you're I have them doing daily diaries. Um, you know, at one point, you know, I had them doing one-on-one check-ins. And what I failed to realize is asking them to do those weekly put up such a barrier, uh, I mean, a barrier of fear that he just didn't do it. So he said, why aren't you doing this? I said, well, I just couldn't see doing that every week with every person. So I like, oh, wow, I should have realized that. Okay, what if we said once every four weeks or six weeks, you check in with your people? I said, yeah, I could do that. 
So now I have him do it, taking a diary of every time he talks to, you know, every one of his people. How did it go? What did you ask? I give him a ton of questions. You know, what's important to them? And, and what did you share of you and, you know, of the business? So beautiful and powerful and being able to have a diary and then actually going out where you're talking to people and you're tracking that with data and you actually be able to see on paper how, how you are affecting uh, other people and how they are affecting you. And, and basically what, what not only questions, but energies are being exchanged back and forth between that is, is such a, a powerful thing. It's one thing to go and talk to someone, but it's another thing to transcribe and, and basically have that, have that in the binder of basically your connections to you and your team. And I could definitely see, cause I know before in the day, back in the day, I was trying to do meetings with everybody every week. And I also was like too much, too right. much. And as a, as a leader, you have, you know, you have to run the business. You're in charge of all these other pieces. And then, you know, the, the challenge is if you're not a people person, you're like, Oh, that, that I, I ain't got time for that. And that, that story, I ain't got time for that it slowly eats away at people being taken for granted. And I just think what you said where there was so powerful. And I think we've kind of gone full circle on the story with Bob and, and, the, and the being able to work together as a team. And um, that was I mean, incredibly powerful. Um, so I think we'll end it at there. What I'd like to finalize with is um, one, do you have any last uh, messages, thoughts or words you'd like to share? And then two, how do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you and talk to you about what you do? Sure. Well, of course, my website is worldclasshr.com. So they can email me anytime they have questions. Vic at worldclasshr.com. Um, I also have another website around energy leadership, and that's core-energy-coach.com. And there's a lot of what I was talking about today about energy there in, in this model. Um, I think, you know, the theme as you've picked up on is communicating. You know, you got to talk to your people and you've got to be interested in your people and they get it, you know, and, and it doesn't, like you were saying, it doesn't have to be every day or every week, but, you know, at least once a month. Find out what's going on with them. Find out what's keeping them from being successful. How can I help you? And, you know, what are you interested in career-wise? You know, and, and I had this physician do that. And one of his medical assistants said, well, I really want to become a registered nurse. Great. Let me help you research the programs that you can enroll in and I'll you know help you pay for it or whatever it doesn't have to be but I'll help you and I'll support you achieving that goal so that person walks away saying wow he he, he appreciated me he talked to me and he's helping my career and you know the leader says you know um I'm enjoying these conversations and that's the holy grail. It's, it's their nirvana for me as a coach is when a leader says, you know, I'm, I, I really get this, you know, and thank you for getting me to that point. I love that. That's beautiful. 
Victor, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate all that you do and all your mentorship and guidance. And um, I look forward to chatting with you soon. Same here. Well, thanks for the invitation Absolutely. and uh, opportunity. Of course. Have a beautiful day. Yeah. I'll talk to you later. Bye all now. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.